Take your Bibles, open up to Revelation 19. Hopefully you brought a copy of the scriptures with you. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some over here on my left. You can go ahead and grab one now or download an app or go to the app store and download the South Beach Church app. There's a Bible reading program on there as well as we get into Revelation 19. And if you're here in-house, you didn't bring paper to take notes, that's okay. Try and bring a notebook with you because God's going to reveal to you some aha moments, some deep thoughts, some real action steps for you to walk in. And you might just have to go back home and watch the 11 a.m. or the 6 p.m. service because there's going to be some stuff here today that you're going to want to apply to your life. So before we even begin Revelation 19, can I get a big amen from everyone out there? Amen. Amen. Just making sure you guys are with me. So, hey, take your phones out and silence them too. And we do have a kids' room available. Um, if your kids just need a place to go in the back there, it's unattended, so moms, dads, go with them. If you do, bring them back there, and uh, it's just right behind uh, the sound booth there. So Revelation 19, and I'm going to read verses 7, 8, and 9. This is week three in Revelation 19, and I'm, I promise I'm not on purpose dragging my feet. I want to get to the end of Revelation 19, but it is so stinking good, and I want you guys to catch this image now as we begin to double-click on it and unpack. This is what it says in verses 7, 8, and 9. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. Listen, and he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Esau, I'm getting there's a little bit of boom. I don't know if anybody else hears that, but I just hear echoing and booming and all kinds of stuff. And I think I'm in heaven for a minute there, but I'm not. I'm just in the heavenly scene, and I'm going to need a little, little louder than that as well. Guys, this scene in heaven is a declaration from the saints in heaven, and they are saying, be glad, rejoice, and give God glory. Why? Because the marriage of the Lamb has arrived. Because what we've been waiting for this entire time has finally arrived here. And they know, if you guys are looking for any sort of hope, any sort of encouragement, man, we can learn from these guys there because they see the end from the beginning. How many of you guys like suspense movies or kind of like, you know, action flicks or even like dramas or what are those uh, chick flicks? I've never seen one of those. But, those, those, you know, <laughs> just kidding. I've seen my fair share. You know, and you, you don't know the end from the beginning. And so you're watching these movies and your, your heart is kind of twisting and you're kind of wondering and you're stressing out. and You're on the edge of your seat. And you're Oh, what's going to happen? And they throw a few twists in there, do they not? And maybe a good guy, you know, dies in an action movie like, no, you know, and then they whatever. You, you've seen this before, right? Then if you watch the movie again the second time, okay, check this out. The plots, the twists, the turns, the stressful moments, they're all still there. They've not been removed at all, except you watch with a different understanding and expectation. You're kind of smiling and you're elbowing the people next to you. Watch this, do watch this, don't you? Watch this. Watch. How many of you guys are talkers while you watch movies? Anybody talker? I'm a talker, man. I like to talk and nobody likes talkers at movies. I'm, I've learned. And so dude, just don't invite me over. But I like to talk and I, and I see it coming. Because the end and the whole plot and the stress hasn't changed, but now I realize that it's going to end well. And I'll tell you what, as we're studying chapter 19, this is so important because this is the end. It's the last chapter. There's three more chapters that detail the thousand-year millennial reign and then what happens to the new heaven and the new earth and new Jerusalem and all that. But this is the end. We've been studying chapters 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. It's been trial and tribulation and bowl judgment and seal judgment and trumpet judgment and chaos judgment. And then there's just one chapter, 19. It's over! And we get a chance to study it now so that way in our own trials and our own judgments and our own difficulties, we can know the end from the beginning, and therefore during the middle, we don't spaz out. Raise your hand if the person next to you has ever spazzed out before. Person spaz, yeah, they're spazzing out. Man, we, <laughs> people spaz out because we don't know. Man, before COVID took over, back in November, my family and I had a chance to go to Southern California. We went to Disneyland, and we were at Disneyland for three days, and it was so awesome. And they have another park next to Disneyland called California Adventures. And California Adventures is like theme parks and like roller coasters. And my favorite ride of all was Guardians of the Galaxy. 
Guardians of the Galaxy, and I had no idea what to expect, except throughout the entire day, I heard screaming like little girls all day long. And finally, it was our turn. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I'll spoil it for you. And you just sit down. I had no idea. No one explained the ride to me. And next thing I know, you're sitting in this elevator shaft, and the entire ride is simply this. It goes up at about 1,000 miles an hour, and then it drops at 5,000 miles an hour. And then it goes up, and then it drops, and it goes up, and it drops. And that's all it does over and over again. Now, it was the most exciting ride in all of California Adventures for me. The first time I took it, because I was just screaming like a little girl. Woo! With the biggest smile on my face. I wasn't panicking or afraid. Listen, here's why. Because it's Disneyland, man. They designed that ride on purpose to be exciting, okay, to be stressful, to be chaotic, unpredictable. They, but listen, to also end well, okay? It's Disneyland. Some of us are living our lives not like we're at Disneyland, but instead we're at that shady carnival that comes into the town, you know, on like Friday night and sets up. And, and you're on the ride midway through. And all of a sudden, you look down and you see the guy working there and he's got his monster energy drink, you know. And, and he's holding a couple of bolts in his hand that he just found on the ground. He's like, what? And instead of going into action, he pulls his phone out to film the ride collapse, you know. And, and some of us are living our lives right now not with excitement or anticipation, Listen, of a good end, but of a catastrophic end, of a chaotic end. And that ought not to be so. We just sang triumphs of choruses of triumph and victory and that nobody rivals Jesus Christ and that he breaks every chain. And this is who our Savior is. And as we study God's Word, as we get into Revelation 19, we see this indicative imperative, this command from verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And I want you guys and I want myself to ask ourselves, what makes you glad? What gives you rejoicing? What causes you to give glory? Now, here's the deal. In life, we do all kinds of fun stuff. Do we not? I mean, fun things that are very superficial. They don't last very long. And I believe the Lord has joy in that. We're his kids. He sees us doing weird things and going snowboarding or surfing or fishing or hunting or quilting. If you got a quilt, that's your problem, you know. And you gotta, he sees us doing stuff. And I think the Lord enjoys that. But when that's all we live for, the glory and the joy and the rejoicing of the things of this world, I think the Lord winces and he says, what are you doing? There's so much more out there. And there's a balance, is there not? I think with everything, there's a balance. Last night, Eddie and Katie Townsend popped in real quick and just to say hi, but they stayed for over an hour. Couldn't believe it. But anyways, they stopped in real quick and, and, and we put some college football on. It's Saturday night. I'm supposed to be studying. So we're watching college football. And I can't remember what game it was. It was like the Clemson Tigers and somebody else was playing last night. And I saw the quarterback and I was like, hey, it's that one guy. Taylor, what's his name? Anybody know? You guys are all getting an A-plus today. So I didn't recognize, and I, just, I asked Eddie, I was like, didn't they win or go to the, the national championship the year before? And Eddie just looked at me and says, I don't know. Do you remember? I don't remember. We don't remember, but I do remember watching the game, and Dabble Sweeney was the coach, and I remember a few of the things. But point is, in that moment, oh, man, it was so good. It was so rad. It was so legit. A year later, or I don't know if it's been a year or not, I mean, later, we find out it, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Now, as you guys go through life, again, I'm not a pessimist. I'm an optimist. You guys, most of you know that. But, but I, and I want to have this tension where I do, as it says in 1 Corinthians 10.31. It's a Halloween verse for me. 10.31 October 31st. 10.31. And, and what it says there, Paul says, hey, whatever you do, and whatever you do, just do it to the glory of God. Okay? You're going to watch football? That's fine. Okay? You're going to go to Disneyland? That's fine. As a matter of fact, we went to Disneyland in November. And the first day I went... I had this Nike shirt on. It said run. It just said run, you know, and, no, you know, I didn't get any comments and nobody was running. I wasn't running. We're all faking it, you know, and, and I realized there's so many people at Disneyland. There's like 65,000 people at Disneyland every day and you're just seeing people. And I wanted to redeem the time that I was there. So I, on purpose, the next day I wore a Jesus is real shirt and I wore it for two days in a row. It might've been three days in a row. It was ripe, but I wore it for three days in a row because I was on vacation. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to at least spark some conversation or bring some joy. And a lot of people just gave a double look. You know, you're supposed to wear a Mickey Mouse shirt or something like that. I didn't have Mickey Mouse. Jesus is real. But a lot of people were encouraged. Oh, dude, I love your shirt. Redeeming that time. What makes you glad? What makes you rejoice? What does cause glory in your life? And again, I think you guys got this, but I need a little pep talk and a little tune-up every once in a while. It says here that the most exciting thing going down is this particular event called the marriage of the Lamb. 
And I think we need to be looking for the marriage supper of the Lamb when those wedding bells are going to be ringing soon. Look at verse 8, and it says, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Stop right there, eyes up here. It says that the wife, that's us, has made herself ready. She's been given fine linens, and that it's been up to her to make her dress, her linens, if you would, by the righteous acts of the saints. I want to talk about this just for a little bit because this is important. We talked about this for the last two weeks in a row, this wedding festival and service and ceremony in the Jewish culture would speak volumes of what we're seeing here in the book of Revelation as well with the betrothal coming first. Kids at a very young age, sometimes unborn, would be betrothed to marry one another. Dads would get together and say, you know what, when you have a daughter and I have a son, let's do this thing. Let's make sure. And that speaks of God's eternal view of you before you were even born. You were elected before the foundation of the world. God saw that you were going to be saved. You were going to heaven. And he said, that's going to be my son. That's going to be my daughter. And you were betrothed. And then there was that public presentation, the engagement where you came to know Jesus. You guys remember that time you came to know Jesus? Man, he was so faithful and so patient with you and changed your life. And now we're in that engagement process where we're waiting. Listen, we're waiting for this ceremony. Now, if I were on the committee, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Luke, which they, I don't know, they just didn't do it, it's fine, I don't take offense. I would have voted that once we got engaged, okay, which in that day was legal and binding, you were married, okay, you actually had to stay chaste and you had to stay reserved and you had, until you were actually committed in that way, that was the way it worked. I would have said, you know what, let's just go ahead and go from the engagement right to the ceremony, let's do this thing. In other words, use our terms, once I'm saved, boom, rapture, I go to heaven. Wouldn't that be awesome? How many, though, got saved and you looked around and you're still here, okay? What's up with that? What's up with that? Here's what's up with that. It says that it has been granted to the bride to prepare herself. The Father has provided her linens. What is the bride, that's you and me, to do until the ceremony begins in the engagement process, which is now? What are we supposed to be doing right now? We're supposed to be readying ourselves with the righteous acts of the saints. This is very important that you understand this. Okay? There are two sides to this coin. One is the grantedness, the provision that God has given to us freely, apart from works. None of us can boast. It was a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You guys know that, right? I'm going to read it to you. I want you guys to see this. This is so important that you guys understand this. This is going to change your life. Why didn't you just go to heaven when you got saved? What in the world are you still doing here? What are you doing with your life? This is what you're doing. Look at verse 8 of Ephesians 2. It says, For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should be boast. It's so cool. There's nothing you did to get saved. That's how you got saved by zero works. Actually, there was works, but it was the works of Jesus Christ. And you are saved. And we are equal in that. And the provision has been given to us. Look at verse 10, though. For we are his workmanship. That sounds like a project. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, man. Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. You're saved apart from works, so that way you could get after the works, both by grace. You're saved not because of works, but now that you're saved, God desires and has preordained steps for you to walk in, which are the works of righteousness that are going to be your eternal covering, your linen, your dress in heaven. This is what we're supposed to be doing right now. You guys ever been to Joanne Fabrics? Yeah. I don't believe in purgatory, but I believe in Joanne Fabrics. That's oh man, it's, it's horrible. As a little boy, my mom, my mom should watch it at home. Love you, mom. I, I just love. I forgive you too, and I love you. And I, I get taken to Joanne Fabrics for weeks at a time, and we would camp there, make tents, and. Man, anyways, Joanne Fabrics, you guys know, and, and Joanne Fabrics is sneaky, aren't they? They got all that fabric there, right? It's all rolled up. What do they roll them up on? What do they call them? Bolts. Bolts. That's a man's word. <laughs> hey, husband, you want to go look at some bolts? Like, sure, let's go. And next thing you know, you're at Joanne Fabrics. I see. I see you. Shouldn't be calling them bolts. Anyways. And you go to Joanne Fabrics, and there's bolts, bolts and bolts of fabric. And then they also have all these catalogs and patterns. You've seen this before. You can flip through catalogs. Man, you can buy the fabric and buy the pattern and go home and sew it together and make it. Can you do this? You've seen this before. You guys you get this. 
Interesting thing is most Joanne fabrics are right next to Old Navy's. You can just go to Old Navy and buy the clothes done for like 12 bucks. I'm not trying to burst your bubble, ladies. But you can sell the stuff, man. And let me just make sure you understand this illustration. See, the Lord has provided for us. I'm going to, he's provided for us fabric, the works of the saints. He's provided for us the pattern and the manual and instructions. And yet right now, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose, a divine purpose. God wants you to fulfill as the church of God, as the bride of Christ, to walk in the righteous acts that he has preordained for you. This is so legit. Because when you go to Joanne Fabrics, every pattern isn't going to fit every person. There's a variety, is there not? Just like in this congregation, there's a variety of people with different patterns, different instructions for your life. I don't know if anybody read the Paul Tripp devotional this morning. Can we trip out? Can we trip out this morning? Paul Tripp? I tripped up. Anybody? Nobody? Okay. What's wrong? Anyways, read it later. Paul Tripp, October 11th. And Paul Tripp and his devotional was so perfect. I think the Lord led me there at 5.30 this morning. The first thing I read, I was like, I'm just going to see what Paul has to say. Paul Tripp. And what he said was, is that the church primarily is comprised of Christians. I'm going to summarize what he said. Christians that think going to church is their number one duty. Okay. And number two duty is supporting that church financially. Okay, if I, if I do those two things, okay, if I, do, if I can do that, whew, it's going to be awesome. I'll, I'll give God my 10%, my tithe, and then the church can pay for and fund the ministry, the professionals, the paid pastors. Now, I try and do both of those things well. I try and go to church, and I try and financially support my church. I do that. But did you know that the Lord has so much more for you to do than just those two things? It's impossible. We couldn't pay enough pastors and support staff, okay, to cover all the needs of ministry in Lincoln County. We couldn't do it. Okay, we're just going to have to hire a few more people to get the work done. No. This church has nine staff members right now. I don't know if you guys know that. It's seven pastors and two support staff. To me, that sounds crazy. That's a lot of people. And yet, do you know how much work there is still to be done in the kingdom of God? Not just here in this warehouse, okay, but in the bayfront and in the the plants on the bayfront and in the stores and in the schools and in the houses all over the place. And if every prayer, and I was just worshiping, thinking about this message, thinking about my own life, thinking about today's trajectory, what I got to do, preach message two times, drive to Lebanon, minister to some people, thank God for Carrie's life, do what I do all for the glory of God, listen, and the good of others. I don't always live that way though. Do you, do you always do that? You ever go to Joanne Fabrics just thinking about yourself? You get the illustration, right? Wouldn't it be rad if every Christian today just said, man, what? Here, here, here's how you can do it, because we know the end. We know the end. Not everyone does. People are spazzing out right now, aren't they? And they are panicking, watching debates from red and blue, and watching the CDC and the World Health Organization and different countries. It's crazy, okay? As a Christian, we can smile brighter than ever before. We know the end. We know the end. We're seeing the end right here. Back to Revelation chapter 19. It says in uh, chapter uh, 19, verse 8, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Guys, I want you not to misquote me or misunderstand this. You've been saved by grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast, but you've been saved unto good works that he has preordained for you to walk in. Your righteousness actually comes from him. It's a gift. He covers you. He takes your unrighteousness from you and gives you his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. Did you know that? The Bible says if you're a Christian here today, you are in him. <laughs> like you're in him. When God looks at you, he sees his son trip out. A couple weeks ago, my wife made these cookies. My mom's recipe, ginger crinkles, the best. And I ate one, two, six. I mean, they just, they were, the, they were on the tray. I had no choice. <laughs> they were better, warm, you know. And I just kept eating them. I lost count. I went to Facebook. I was like, how many should I eat? I don't know. I'm like, I need help. You know, I need some, some coaching here. Now, here's the crazy thing. Those cookies are made of butter and sugar and empty calories. They're evil. They're just evil. And yet, they, they were in me. You actually couldn't see them anymore. They're, they're gone. They're, just, they're gone. Now, you might see the effects of those cookies come out some way, you know, coma and stuff. Listen, 
the sin you've committed, the person you are naturally, okay, you are hidden in Christ. He has enveloped you. He's taken you in. This allows you then to do what you do for the glory of God and the good of others, to live your life on purpose. Knowing the end. Knowing what's going on. Knowing that there is a marriage supper that you've been invited to. As a matter of fact, look at verse 9. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Stop right there, eyes appear. Go on to know who's blessed, the people that are going to this. Now, if you're a Christian here today, you're the bride. Okay, you, ever, you think you get an invitation to your own wedding? You don't even get an invitation. There will be other people at the wedding. And scholars kind of disagree and some contemplate on what this means, when who are called to the wedding. Some think about the Old Testament saints. John the baptizer when it was an Old Testament saint, Jesus' older cousin. He died before the new covenant. And John the Baptist called himself a friend of the groom, not the bride. I'm just a friend of the groom. Trying to prepare the way. There's going to be a bunch of Old Testament saints at the wedding feast. There's going to be a bunch of tribulation saints at the wedding feast. There's going to be a bride at the wedding feast. All this is going to make more sense when we get there. Trust me. But if you're called, man, blessed are you. You're blessed and you're called. And you might even be sitting here asking yourself or saying to yourself, look, this just sounds too good to be true. And if that's what you say, look at the rest of verse 9. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Lest you doubt Unless you want, you ever, how many guys are tired of fake news? It's out of control. I don't even know what's going on anymore. With social media and Facebook and all these things and all these ads, and there's so much information and data that's conflicting every single day. Like, I've got overwhelming data exhaustion. I don't even know what to believe anymore. It doesn't matter who says it. It doesn't matter what organization. I just don't even know how to process anymore. I'm kind of just... And the Lord says here, this is true. This is true. You want to know what's true? This is true. That's why you guys are here this morning. That's why you guys are watching online. That's why you're processing things differently because you know the end, unless you be deceived by all kinds of fake news, he says, these are the true sayings of God. Look at verse 10. That's interesting what happens next. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is an interesting scene. John is so overwhelmed at this point, this wedding feast. He's been through chapter 6, 9, all the, all the way through all the tribulation stuff. And now at this point, he falls down to worship, but not to worship Jesus. It says he's worshiping this messenger, which this messenger self-identifies as a fellow servant and brother, brother of Serving Jesus. He's not an angel. He's just a dude, just a, a person who's been saved. Now, every commentator I read gave John a hall pass right here. Like, oh, I'm sure he didn't mean it. I'm sure he was just overwhelmed and caught up in the emotion. I'm sure he didn't know what he was doing. I don't know, because here's the thing. This guy rebukes John and says, don't worship me, bro. Worship Jesus. Did you know in chapter 22, John does it again? This is important. I would love to think John didn't do this on purpose. Wouldn't it be? I mean, it's John the Revelator. John, 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 John boy. Jesus' best friend, John. He wrote John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. Man, John. And yet you think John ever made some mistakes? And here's the crazy mistake. Guys, this is a fine line. Okay, we're going to split a hair real quick. He's seen this revelation of Jesus Christ. He's in heaven. He sees this scene. And he immediately begins to wit or worship the messenger. Listen, because of the message. Now, we wouldn't say it that way. We wouldn't say we worship messengers that give us good messages, would we? I'm telling you, I think, there's a, I think there's a principle here. Because we love to worship men. We love to worship women. We love to see those superior athletes or leaders, and we love to elevate them just a little bit. We do. John does it twice. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Peter said one time to the layman, look at me and do what I say. There is a time where we look to leaders and see what they do and emulate them, but it can go too far. I believe there's a lesson here. There's a principle to not elevate man or ministries or messages or messengers above the message of Jesus Christ. Have, have you seen that? Has, has this happened to you? You ever forget your favorite pastor and your favorite teacher? I know who your favorite pastor is. <laughs> it's Adam Durkin. He's sitting in the back there. Have you, you know, your favorite ministry. Let me just give you a quiz. If somebody ever asks you, hey, are you a Christian? 
And your quick response is, yeah, I go to South Beach Church. Eh. That's not the right. It's, it's true, maybe true. Okay. Your Christianity, though, okay, is directly linked to Christ. Oh, do you go to South Beach Church? Yeah, I'm good friends with Luke Frechette. Eh. You might be good friends with Luke Frechette. That's awesome. Good for you. He's a good guy. But can you imagine if somebody said, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. Did I love Jesus Christ? Whoa. Do you, do you go to South Beach Church? Yeah. And I love Jesus Christ. Do you know Luke Frechette? Yeah, I love Jesus Christ. I think, look at what happened. This, this guy, this happens twice. We're going to see this again in chapter 22. I'm going to teach it again the exact same way. We elevate things on earth wrongly. And really the main thing, you guys have heard this, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It's all about Jesus. It's not about South Beach Church. It's not about Luke Frechette. It's not about Calvary Chapel. It's not about your denomination. not about YWAM or Young Life or any of these things. It is about Jesus Christ. Now, check this out. I believe John makes a mistake here because he's a man, a normal dude. He's in heaven. He blew him. I don't know what happened. He just did it. But look at the next verse. Verse 11. Now, I've got that circle. I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had the name written that no one knew except himself and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name was called the word of God and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen white and clean followed him on a white horses and now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword and with it that should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords Guys, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation began in chapter 1, where Jesus told John, write the things you have seen, that is the resurrected Christ, and the things that are, chapters 2 and 3, the church, and the things that will happen after this, after the church age, after the rapture. We're in the church age right now, just in case you're wondering, and the church age will end, and the Lord will say, as he did in chapter 4, Come up here in the rapture of the church where we will be caught up to be with him. And then after seven years in heaven, a three and a half year period on earth, followed by a three and a half year period on earth, led by the Antichrist, will lead to the return of the king. Now, this comes, verse 11, right after verse 10. Write that in your notes. Okay, 11 comes after 10. 10 comes before, all that, you know. And here's, what, here's my point. In verse 10, John blew it. He made a mistake. He worshiped the wrong guy, and he just kind of had an oops moment. And right after, God says, you know what I'm going to do? What I was going to do in the first place? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless everyone. This is God's kindness. Okay, he's unrelenting. And it leads us to repentance. God's kindness and his forbearance and his mercies are flowing every single day. And if you've ever made a mistake, if you've ever gone off track, if you've ever walked away from the shepherd, if you ever turned around and tried to go back to the shepherd, how far do you have to go back? Okay, it's literally not even one step. It's just a turnaround. Whoa, he's right there. He followed me the whole way. He's the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. I say that because I see God's mercy in here. It says, now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. Interesting that what John saw, the very first thing is heaven opens is the white horse. Okay, white speaks of majesty and authority and victory. Anybody on a white horse in any time of history would be known as the one in charge. And he sees this white horse. Heaven is now opened up. By the way, again, I want to make sure you see this. Heaven is only opened in the book of Revelation twice. It's opened for the church to be caught up in the rapture, chapter 4. And it is opened the second time here for the Lord to return with the church coming on their own white horses. It's important for you Bible students, you who are studying end times prophecy to piece these things together. Heaven is opened up and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. Unlike John who just blew it here, John who had a bad day, worshiped the wrong guy. Jesus is on the white horse though and he's faithful and true. The Bible says that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful still. Why? Because he can't deny himself. 
Isn't that cool? It's kind of like being a good dad with bad kids. I got a, one bad kid in the back. No, I'm just kidding. He's a good kid. No. If, if I, I, I'm, I'm going to still uphold the name. Even if my kids get crazy, I'm going to trust that the process of raising them is going to lead them back around. Faithful and true, our King, our Savior. Isn't that great? This is who we're riding with. Even in our darkest days, Jesus comes out shining. And it says in verse 11 that he rides and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Some people will object to this. They don't like war. They don't like judgment. You guys realize that love has two sides. Okay, love is patient and kind and generous and benevolent and seeks to cover and to provide for, does it? Not. But the other side of love is wrath and judgment and righteousness. I'll use the illustration. I love my family. I've got a wife and three kids. I love them so much that at, the, at night when we go to bed, I lock my door. Anybody take offense to that? Okay, take offense to that. I lock my door and on the inside, on the other side of my door inside, I have weapons of mass destruction, okay? If I need to use upon anybody who seeks to come in and bring evil to my family, I, you know, I'm gonna do what I gotta do. Why? Because I love them. And I'm always thinking of ways to love them better. And I'm always asking myself, is this going to love them and cover them? And I'm always looking at things around in this world saying, that is going to bring evil upon my family. Therefore, I'm going to righteously judge it. Now, you and I are failed or flawed and, and, and feeble humans. We actually can't judge righteously. There's never been a war on planet Earth that's been completely righteous. They've always had ill intentions. Know this and take it to the bank. Jesus Christ knows all things. And after 2,000 years since the cross and after 21 judgments and after much patience, does he, I'll use the words in quotes, does he reluctantly bring war and judgment and righteousness to planet Earth? God is so patient. As parents, you ever count to three? One, two, three. Jesus has been counting to 2,000. He's like, 2,020! <laughs> like, by the year. Like, what is going on? The patience of God. So, when it happens in righteousness, when he wages war, I mean, I, like a parent would say to a kid while disciplining that kid, in true authenticity, this hurts me more than it does you. Okay, you got to really like soften your heart and get away from all the cynicism of our world today and, and think that through. When you discipline a child, maybe tough love. You push that tough love on, their, on your child. And you, what do you, as a good dad or a good mom, what do you want for your kid? Nothing but the best. And yet when evil has infected that child, when evil has infected that person, man, I, love is going to take a different attribute. Verse 12, it says, his eyes were like a flame of fire. The Bible says that all of our works will be burned. And in that burning, they'll be weighed. Like putting, imagine putting a conveyor belt through a, a kiln, through a fire. And everything that's perishable will just burn up and disintegrate. And everything that comes out on the other side will remain. And I believe that's going to happen in one moment where the Lord just looks at your life, the beam of seat judgment. He just looks at you. Now, here's some good news. All that stupid stuff you've done, okay? Now, all that stupid stuff, gone. Gone. He's going to just burn it up. Take care of it. All the foolish things, all the stuff, wood, hay, and stubble. His eyes of fire. This speaks of omniscience, omnipotence. All power. It says there were many crowns on his head. This also speaks of authority and victory. There's two words for crown in the New Testament. One is Stephanos and one is diadem. The Stephanos would be for the athlete that had competed against other rival athletes. And the superior athlete in competition would get a Stephanos crown. Here's your crown for competition. The diadem crown didn't speak of competition with rival athletes, but the diadem crown spoke of royalty, authority. Okay, you are the king. Not because you earned it, but because you are the king. And this is the crowns that Jesus is wearing. It says there's a name written that no one knew except himself. I don't know what this means because it doesn't say what his name means. It doesn't, he's got a name. I would make this application. In heaven, is it, I don't know what you guys think of heaven. You guys think it's going to be boring? Sitting on a cloud 
waiting for your turn to go to Joanne Fabrics. <laughs> it's not going to be that way. It's going to be so, so legit. It's going to be so legit. And one of the things I believe we're going to experience in heaven, while we're going to know him as we're known, okay, where our, our knowledge base is going to swell and excel, I do believe also because God has put it into the heart of kings to, to seek out matters, that it's God's attribute to, le- to teach us and to learn. Isn't learning awesome? Don't you just learn something every single day? At this point, I'm learning how much I don't know every single day. I'm just learning. Wow, I don't know anything. That's crazy. In heaven, we'll be learning. Okay, There's a name that we don't know. We're going to learn attributes about Christ. There's going to be more to go. And I hope that excites you. Like, Don't be scared of heaven. I think it's going to be boring. It's going to be incredible. Look at verse 13. And he was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Scholars differ on whose blood this is. Some say it is his own blood. We know his blood was poured out for our sins. We know it's by his blood that we are made righteous. Some say that this blood is the blood of his enemies. That is, that he will trample the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God. It says in Isaiah 61 and 63 that this man will come and he will do what only he can do in righteousness and justice as he tramples the world. It could be a combination. I don't know. It's dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Look at verse 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, that's us after our trip to Joanne Fabrics, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Look at this. so cool. We're now with him also. Notice that we have no weapons. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. He's got tattoos and a rope full of blood and all this crazy stuff. We're just on horses there along for the ride. I want you to understand this. Most battles in that day would be fought with the king in the back and the armies in the front. And they would, the king would send the armies out to win. Okay? Not so with our king. Our king says, I'll go fight for you. You guys get white horses. You don't need weapons. I am the weapon. Because this is so... Jesus. Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus. Jesus. You, ha- you have no rival. You have no equal. He breaks every chain. It's all about Jesus. And we're there. He invites us to be a part of this. Look at verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with the rod of iron and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Stop right there. Eyes up here, guys. Verse 15 is kind of out of character for most of the images you have of Jesus Christ in your mind right now of him walking through the Galilean mountains barefoot, you know, maybe some Birkenstocks but they're super used, you know, and he's walking, he's got a kid in hand and he's got a goat on his back, you know, or, but, you know, he's just kind of, he's chilling. This Jesus, same Jesus, 2,000 years later, and he treads the fierceness of the winepress of the wrath of God. And a sword comes out of his mouth for which he will strike the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. This is intense. This is the same Jesus, though, and he does it with love, and he does it with grace and mercy and forbearance and kindness. You know how he does it? Let me just make sure you guys understand this. He does it through the Word of God. It says there's a sword coming out of his mouth. Some scholars say it can't be a real sword. That's crazy. I kind of like a real sword coming out of his mouth. I'm okay with it. But we know that Hebrews 4.12 says that the Bible is sharper than any two-edged sword. Okay, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Okay, so whether it's a real sword, I like to imagine it's a real sword with a real tattoo and real blood and a real robe. Okay, I like to, this is how my Jesus comes out of Joanne Fabrics. He's ready to rock and roll, man. He got the right pattern and he got the right manual and he made some cool stuff. But the Bible says he comes and he rules the world with a rod of iron. He strikes the nation with the sword of his mouth. Okay, you guys, do you guys know that the Word of God is that powerful? The Word of God is designed to rule your life as well. It's designed to strike you and to discern you. Has this happened? Have you read the Bible and just been slayed and filleted and laid wide open like, oh, snap, I got to do something. I mean, the Word of God. You guys remember in, in John 18, Jesus is being arrested, Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus kicks his, his best friends. He said, wake up, guys, getting arrested. Wake up. And the guards show up, and Jesus says, who are you guys looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And you know what Jesus says? I am he. And when he says, I am he, the Bible says, they all fall to the ground. Just John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't record that part. Can you imagine that? Jesus says, I am he. 
The craziest part is they get up and actually arrest them. <laughs> like, I would be quitting my day job. Like, all right, all right. Hey, you got this, right, Barney? I'm out of here. Like, you put the cuffs on them. It's just his word. The book of Genesis begins by God speaking his word and the cosmos come into being. Do you understand? You ever build anything? It's not easy to build stuff. I'm not a very good builder. I can do it, but it's not very, I just, I'm bad at it. God just speaks and he builds universes. It's his word. And he comes back and he will get things right through his, it's, and, and here's the, the bonus for us now who see the end from the beginning is we have his word for us. I hope you guys, hope you guys love the word of God. I hope you're a student of the word. I hope you're disciplined. I hope you're reading it. Here's, some, here's, the, here's my challenge for you who have stopped reading your Bible and you're just like, I don't get it. I'm, I just, I don't, you know. Ask God to speak to you through his word and then read it. Expect God to speak to you through his word and then read it. Expect God to speak through and to your dull, hardened heart. He will speak to you. Okay, it's not about you. <laughs> How many people right now are waiting to feel like reading the Bible? Okay, I love reading the Bible and I feel like reading the Bible. It's fun. It's, it's, it's different, you know. I feel like reading the Bible. I'm gonna do it. Okay, don't wait to love the people around you once you feel like loving them. That's a bad idea, okay? You're gonna end, end, it's gonna end poorly. Love them. Read the Bible, guys. Let the Lord speak to you. Look at verse 16. And it says, And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Guys, I like how Jesus has this on there, that there be no mistake of who he is. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Now, this isn't labeled on his robe and labeled on his thigh like you label your kids as clothes when they go to first grade. Remember that? When they go to first grade, you're going to write their name on the, on the tag of the jacket because they're going to lose their stuff. You know, it's for, for other people to identify. This is in order that we would know who he is. Okay. Not so he knows who he is. He didn't forget. And he comes in this likeness. Look at verses 17 through 21. and I'm going to end with some thoughts. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is just, I don't know if this is poetry. I, I assume, I just take it literally. An angel stands in the sun. You guys ever seen the sun before? You're from Newport, so I'll just have to explain it to you, okay? Because you don't ever get to see it. It's pretty legit. There's, there are other cities and counties that actually have the sun, like, all the time. <laughs> it's crazy. Don't look it up, you'll move. But anyways, it happens. So the sun is amazing. It's huge. It's 93 million miles away. Okay, if you were to drive to the moon, okay, at 60 miles an hour, okay, it would take you 10 months, okay? 10 months to get there. And if you were to drive past the moon, go to the sun at 60 miles an hour, it would take you 190 years, okay? At 60 miles an hour, 190 years. Like you're gonna need a lot of sunflower seeds for that trip right there, 190 years. Even if you took a jet, 600 miles an hour to the moon, first class, it would take you 190 years in first class. It's so far away. And all of a sudden here at the end, before we see this wrap up, now we're gonna go from heaven, this scene, this marriage supper of the lamb. There's the white horse, there's the army. Heaven is opened up, where are they going? Oh my gosh, they're going down. And an angel shows up and stands in the sun. Like talk about taking over. If I was gonna have an angel post up, I'd put it on like, you know, Cape Perpetua, you know, <laughs> by the lighthouse, you know. Go to City Hall. <laughs> I'll just stand in the sun. Anyways, you guys can freak out later. Read it again. It'll get you excited. And this angel now, this is crazy. Because this is the judgment of planet Earth. This angel says to the birds of the air, come to the great feast of the great God. Verse 19. This is to the, he's talking to the birds. That you may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of the captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, the flesh of those who sit on them, the flesh of the people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Stop right there, eyes up here. Guys, this is the end. This is the last battle. When the rider on the white horse returns with his army and all the orcs have gathered together at Helm's Deep. <laughs> the return of the king. Lord of the Rings too. Anyways. And there's this epic battle that's going on. And this angel stands in the sun and calls out to all the birds of the air to come. <laughs> this is crazy. 
crazy. Calls to all the birds of the air to eat everybody. There's a lot of, how many guys like, you're kind of afraid of birds, like just be honest with me, like you're afraid of birds, okay? All of you, all of you, good. Just kidding. <laughs> birds, man. The birds, there's big crows and things. There's birds, there's birds with wingspans like as big as this stage. And this angel's like, all y'all birds, it's eating time. I'm just going to explain. I can't, I, I'm not going to make commentary because it's all just weird. It's in the end. I'm just going to tell you what's going to happen. In the end, all of the countries and all of the leaders of the world that remain after the rapture of the church that have gone into allegiance with the Antichrist in the first three and a half years of political alliance, one world government, one world worship, one world currency. At the end of three and a half years, there'll be a cosmic battle where these wars come together and Russia and China and Syria and everyone comes together and they begin to fight and they gather at the Valley of Megiddo there in Jezreel in Israel. I've been there twice. And this valley is so vast and has had battles fought already. And when Napoleon Bonaparte saw that battlefield, he lost his breath. And he said, this is where the last battle will happen. He knew he was a warrior. This is it. And they'll be gathered together. The Bible teaches that they'll be gathered together against each other. But when the king comes in the sky, something crazy happens. They turn all of their missiles, all their lasers, all their technology, all their rocks, all their sticks, whatever they got left, and they, they aim it at Jesus. It's crazy. And they're led there by the Antichrist and by the false prophet. We've learned about these two characters that are in cahoots with the devil himself. It says in verse 20, let me read verse 19 again. I saw the beast... It's Antichrist and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him, capital H-I-M, who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in the presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were, listen, cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Stop right there, eyes up here. I just, I got to make my own comment here. The Lord is returning. He's got the armies with him. He's got the sword. He's got the blood. He's got the tats. King of kings, Lord of lords. No, one, no one's mistaken who he is. All these kings and armies and the beast and the false prophet go to fight him. And in one verse, they're captured and thrown to the lake of fire. It's over. It's, it ends before it begins. I mean, if I were writing this, I would give like three or four chapters to, to, to chapter 19. Would you not double click and say, is that what happens? Like, well, it's over. It's over. Like, you think... Like what, I mean, honestly, though, what did you think? You think Jesus is going to come down and, like, fight for a while? What's your theology? He's going to come back and he's going to, you know, oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> he's got a sword out of his mouth. He comes and it's just over. It's, uh, that's how it ends. So when you're writing life and it feels like the Guardians of Galaxy at Disneyland, you're going up and down and up and down and everything's crazy. You can keep smiling and saying, I know the end. Yesterday I went to Costco. I did a wedding in Lebanon yesterday and I was going to Costco afterwards to get some supplies for my family. And I got to the line there and everyone's masked up in there and I'm sweaty and I'm tired. And the lady asked me, how are you doing? And through my mask, I, rah, rah, you know, I'm just kidding. I said, I'm perfect. And she said, whoa. And she stopped. I haven't heard that answer in a very long time. And why am I perfect? Because my day was perfect? Because my economy at home is perfect? Because my health is perfect? Because my relationships are perfect? No. I'm on the ride right now. Ah! You know. It's crazy. I know what's happening, though. I know where I'm going at the end. I know where this ride takes me. I know the engineer. It's safe. It's going to be okay. I can do all things through Christ who's strength. I'm perfect. No matter what happens, no matter what I suffer, no matter what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, I read it to you, don't think it's strange concerning your suffering. Why? So that way you can fellowship with him. Are you suffering right now? Is there anything in your life? Maybe you're single and it's, you're sad. You're lonely and it stinks. You don't want to be single anymore, okay? But you are single. And the Lord says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Or maybe you're married and you wish you were single. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and your marriage is tough and difficult. And the Lord says to you, I'm with you. I'm with you. Whatever your suffering is. Everybody suffers. Not everybody suffers with the answer. Okay, the answer is Jesus Christ. These two characters are thrown to the lake of burning fire. We'll talk about that at length next week in chapter 20. 
It says, the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeds from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. That's the word of God. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. This is just, you, want, you think this is ugly? It is. Millions and millions and millions of bodies, listen, of people who rejected Christ and rejected the opportunity of repentance for seven years during the tribulation period, okay, will be judged righteously. And their corpses will be eaten by the birds of the air. Crazy. This doesn't come haphazardly or quickly or urgently. This comes very slowly. And even right now, today's the day. Guys, you're the church. This is the church. We're about to go out. I encourage you to ready yourself for his return. How? The righteous acts of the saints. There's no righteousness in you, but the righteousness that God has asked you to walk in, it's been borrowed, it's been provided for, it's been given to you. Let me close with this thought. I already kind of touched on it. It is interesting that chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 come before chapter 19. There's a lot of chapters, and it's all about suffering and difficulty and trial and chaos and stuff. And then he just wraps it up in one chapter. It's done. Chapter 19. It's over. Because I believe it speaks to your life and my life. There is a difficulty. You're, you're in it. It's called life. It just is. But he's going to wrap it up. His return is so near. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, now we take your word. We tuck it away and commit it into our hearts that we might not sin against you. However, Lord, we confess that we have sinned. Lord, we're just, we're so sorry. As sons and daughters, we're sorry. We're just, we're a work in progress. Please forgive us of our sins. If you need forgiveness of sin, just repent. Just own your sin. Don't justify it. Don't say I was made this way. Don't say that I'm a product of my environment. Don't say that stuff. Call it a sin and repent and let Jesus heal you. And if you need healing from your sin right now, would you just nod into that or raise your hand or just receive it in Jesus' name, the fresh ministry of Christ Almighty in your life to be different, to be different, to be subservient to the mission of Christ. You put your hands down or just agree. Lord, would you anoint us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in our families first, our neighborhoods, everywhere we go. We love you so much. Lord, we pray a special blessing on Colette today as she mourns and grieves the loss of her husband. Bless that sanctuary at 3 p.m. In, in Lebanon, Lord. We just love you. Thank you for all you've done. We await your return. Would you help us, Lord, to be those who go through life's trials, difficulties, stresses, and setbacks as those who actually have seen the end. You gave it to us. Lord, we pray not just for our church, but for all the churches right now that are making decisions, navigating through all the shutdowns and regulations. It's just, we just pray for wisdom. We do ask for wisdom for this church, Lord. We're, this, is, this is what we're responsible for. Keep us safe too, we pray. In all things, may we be gracious and kind, Lord. We love you. Thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen, amen and amen.